everyone and welcome back to another episode of Sociology and UGC Net with Alrix and me. Yay! So we're both snappy today, so there's that. Yay! Let's just start over. <laughs> no. <laughs> What? Keep going, keep going. Ah. Uh, well... We want to talk about two people who are snappy at each other. Couldn't have chosen a better day than the day that you take Ambedkar and Gandhi. I know. I'm pretty sure Ambedkar thought he was done with having to deal with Gandhi. But clearly, (laughs) two UGC net sociology students who years later put him on the same episode with Gandhi and make him deal with the same stuff. I've figured out why them being such important sociologists they've been taken out of the syllabus for sociology thinkers for UGC net i figured out why they're there in the syllabus no i mean they're not there in the first chapter right in terms of your thinkers they have put like very loosely compared to guve and some of these other thinkers mm. and even in terms of questions that get asked on both of them um there's very like you get one Um, yeah, that's it. The number of questions that you get aren't as much. Yeah, so I, I think I mean, that's also because they've not actually studied sociology or like taught sociology per so se. That's exactly why, in fact. What you just said is exactly yeah. why. They're not sociologists in the traditional understanding of the word like the other sociologists were learning about, right? Like their yeah. theories contribute to sociology and have an effect on how we understand and and. and appreciate sociology sociology and so what happens is many times they don't they want come up with terms like sanskritization and, you know modernization little and great tradition they're not going to come up with terms like that um they're rather going to use what already sort of use it to explain that's one big reason also the other big reason is as much as they were sociologists they were also politicians so they have a lot of yeah. politics i'm sure if you were writing your ugc net in public administration or philosophy or i don't know is there one in political science then yeah. definitely you have to learn a lot more from bedkar and gandhi then you would need to worry about from social having said that let's start i'm going to start today we usually start with when they were born and if you don't know when mahatma gandhi was born then you already are going to fail sociology ugc net because <laughs> because that's like the easiest question to ask right when was mahatma gandhi born we get a holiday on it every year so he was born on 2nd october but the year the year may not be common knowledge it was 1869 right um by the age of 13 little known fact yeah he had a child marriage to a woman to a woman or to a girl <laughs> called kasturba and he went and studied law in england and then he came back to uh india for like a little while and then he got a job as a legal advisor in south africa now here's the thing apparently the story goes when it's a verified story the story goes that when he was called to south africa by a businessman the businessman was known to his relative i think his uncle or elder brother something like that his relative and his relative said okay you know what mohandas will come right by the you know mk gandhi's full name mohandas kavamchand gandhi so you have he said uh, mohandas would come but you know a kind of protective about him so it would require a first class ticket 
um, we need a first class ticket. I don't know what the mode of transport is, probably train or ship or something, or whatever it was. Uh, we need a first class ticket. And so the businessman who was calling him to be a legal advisor agreed. And Gandhi was thrown out from that first class to a um, compartment, pushes on board, thinking he had fake his ticket because they were like, How did an Indian? He suddenly realized the plight of Indians abroad. And, you know, that was a big um, op- eye-opener for him. And that's apparently what kicked off. So we always think of Gandhi as this, you know, this NMI sitting in South Africa and suddenly realizing about Indian independence struggles. But actually, his plight started even on the way to South Africa. He fought a lot for the rights of things within South Africa itself. But of course, you're in a foreign country. There's only so much you can do. And so when he came back, he was already sensitive to the plight of being a second-class citizen. So one thing to be a second-class citizen in a foreign country is much more to be it in your own country. He founded his philosophy on four important principles, ones that are going to get repeated again and again. So I'll do those four principles, and then we'll like see what Ambedkar's principles are so that we can sort of juxtapose, right? Four important principles of Gandhi are going to be Satya. If you know Hindi, then you already know that Satya is truth. But if you know Hindi, you'd know that you can know means this doctrine of absolute truth, the dedication to truth, non-violence, the idea that your means should be pure. It doesn't matter if you can get something that you want, but the means of getting it is not good. For example, we all, they wanted independence, but if your means to get independence is not pure, then the independence doesn't have hold as much meaning. So he was, he stuck to non-violence as a means, non-cooperation as he was this thing, because the idea that he said was that you just don't cooperate with evil. It's not that you're trying to be a revolution. In fact, a lot of people would say Gandhi, not a rebel, he's a reformer, right? So he's not cooperating and civil disobedience, his most famous um, plan of action, which is basically disobedience against unjust laws. These four principles are what he based his philosophy on and then ones that frequently get asked in the UGC are these principles of Satyagraha, uh, non-violence, non-cooperation and civil disobedience. And I'll expound on them in a bit, but let's hear about Bhima Rao Ambedkar. Yes, Bhimrao Ramji Ambedkar. Yes, so um, Dr. Bhimrao Ramji Ambedkar was also a lawyer. And he too went abroad to study, but unlike Gandhi, he was not upper caste. Uh, he belonged to um, a Mahar caste, which is a type of untouchable uh, caste in Maharashtra. He was born on 14th April 1891. And as I already said, he was born in Maharashtra. Um, he did most of his schooling uh, around here only and um, when I say here again Maharashtra because we are here that's why I say here um, hey yeah, one in Maharashtra got... people don't know that okay now they do we are in Maharashtra now guys in okay. case you all didn't know um, now. so she's still a fan of the show and be like where do they okay fine yeah so um, he got his admission in Elphinstone College uh, Bombay where he studied under, uh, where he basically got um, this scholarship, which is called the Gaikwad Scholarship. And it was this scholarship that basically 
helped him reach places that he did right um it was through the scholarship that he also got himself into columbia university where he did his ma and he was one of the first indians first untouchable indians to go abroad and study right um he got his phd in 1917 from columbia and um after his phd thesis he went to london for to study law and that's where he took admission in london school of economics um he did his uh his phd was titled the problem of the rupee which he did from london school of uh, economics and then he did his bar at law um his top 5 books that i think also do come up in ugc in terms of like questions like connecting books and match the columns are the untouchables who they are who were the shudras states and minorities emancipation of the untouchables and annihilation of caste um he ba- most of his work is about caste right because he comes from a mahar community he understands caste so something that you do not see throughout other sociologists is what ambedkar puts forth you know understanding um caste dynamics and you know different approaches to understanding caste is what ambedkar signifies basically um he does do a lot in terms of religion and constitution and um just social identities but we'll come to that in a bit cool interesting interesting yeah and has uh, is clearly someone who um were not confident maybe in his own ideas because what he's going to do is he's a voracious reader he like he loves reading um, as most lawyers i assume uh, tend to be because of the books so he's very into reading thoreau emerson tolstoy the classic philosophers and carlyle ruskin ruskin especially will have a impact on him in just a while right and he's going to borrow a lot of his understand from these in fact satyagraha or the doctrine of truth is not his own concept the idea that it's a historic concept the idea that you know um pure means should be the mean should be the path to achieving something otherwise the achievement itself is not worth it so he's going to borrow the idea and come up with satyagraha basically giving an indian like he translated it <laughs> and came up with translated doctrine of truth into satyagraha now he has three or four quotes important from a sociological perspective right gandhi had many ideas his basic um objective was freedom from the british right but we don't talk about enough about gandhi how he wanted to achieve that of course we all know about his non violent means but he had one more thing he said see the problem is a british ruler with an indian ruler you're just going to have the same problems and social reproduction of the same problems so true independence doesn't simply freedom from the british it lies in freedom from the system which the british have created right so we almost said that you know what we today call modernization or what in his time was being called 
westernization was nothing but western civilization and western civilization was propounded on industrialization right and to ancient civilization and the first way he wanted to do that was to make the village important he will always use the term village republic like most of his terms it's not his own term it's a term of henry main who had used the term village republic in his book which gandhi will borrow and put and talk public it's a very co cool idea the idea of having villages being self sufficient and then having their own republics and a group of village republics country forming the idea of the state so a return to the idea of an individual being self sufficient a group forming a village republic and a group of village republic forming the state and the state forming the country it's now a very gandhi idea and that's why panchayati Thing even till today, it comes from a very Gandhi concept. Of course, it doesn't follow the Gandhi. We keep Panchayati Raj as what the lowest levels, not the highest levels. Uh, it still is very Gandhi in concept that we use today. So, village his big um, uh, contribution founded on a Ruskin idea. Remember, I just said Ruskin, Ruskin, which was um, this idea that villages. For them to really, so we were going to start seeing the merge between Gandhi and Ambedkar, right? For villages to properly function, people need to have roles, right? They need to. The guy who milks the cow needs to milk the cow, and the guy who needs to, I don't know. Um, clearly, I have not spent enough time at a village to know the activities of a village. I'm going to say the guy who who crops the grass is that a thing? <laughs> That's not a thing. <laughs> Who harvest the corn is to harvest the corn, so <laughs> but the point that there is a division of labor, and that division of labor comes from that we have a vavna system. So he felt like the society didn't have a problem with the vavna system. What did society have a problem with? They had a problem with how the vavna was being used for oppression. So his basic core idea was that there's nothing wrong with the vavna system, and it was very strange because. And this is where he's going to have this rift with Ambedkar, because he has a problem with caste, but not with Vavna. And Ambedkar could not understand how you could even make a distinction of one with the other. The minute you talk about a Vavna system, caste is implicit. Near what happened? And he famously said this also: if you have a problem with your kidney and you went to the doctor, the doctor won't say, "Acha kidney me problem hai to let's kill the whole man." He'll try and fix the kidney. Same way, we just need to address Brahmanical oppression. That's the big problem here. Let's fix that. That's why he started talking about Harijans again. Not his own term. Harijan is a term used by an Indian poet that Gandhi will use to talk to about and apply to the untouchable class. Right. So, um, not his own term. But once he takes that term Harijan, he applies it to the untouchables. He starts fighting for their. And this is something I think not enough people understand. If you are not a Hindu, the idea that untouchable are not part of the Vavna system, right? Yeah, they are. What do you call them? Outside the Vavna system. So the idea of integrating them to Vavna system, he was very on board with that. System itself, which is the perfect segue, I think. Yep, yep, it is. So Ambedkar clearly disagreed to every single thing Gandhi said. he believed that caste and brahmanic hinduism reinforced each other uh, and they discriminated against uh, the the untouchables of the society basically 
so he traced the genesis of this oppression and the nature of the caste dominated indian society to the sacred shastras uh, of the hindus who guarded them as closely that if anyone except them read or heard them he he would have committed something like sacrilege okay so he also uh, reads the manusmriti and explains how the manusmriti basically sanctions severest punishment for such a such oppression to take place right so according to ambedkar the vedas smritis and shastras were all instruments of torture used by hinduism against the untouchables and it was this very subaltern perspective of ambedkar and why is it subaltern that's because if you look at all the sociologists and you look especially you look at gandhi and you, at especially just let's just say that time okay um, untouchables had no say whatsoever um, they weren't reaching the kinds of heights of education that uh, ambedkar did in fact ambedkar when he was also teaching went through a lot of caste discrimination it, even after being so highly qualified right and that's why his understanding of how i'm going to use a, a very gen z word but how toxic um uh, brahmanical hinduism is is what he explains right so in his book annihilation of caste uh, he emphasizes that smritis and shastras were not the embodiment of religion but a system of rules to deprive the untouchables even of their basic needs and deny them equal status in society and that's why he was constantly in opposition from the dominant hindu nationalist um the the big i can't find the right word the big people let's say right like raja ram mohan roy um bjp lok mahatma gandhi position with them um ambedkar's this alternative form of nationalism was popularly known as dalit bahujan samaj also incorporated uh and the, basically this also incorporated um the philosophies of jyoti jyoti rao phule and perrier ev ramaswami naikar um so his his understanding of indian nationalism was very anti hindu and anti brahmins right he he that's why he wrote annihilation of caste it, it he didn't want them to change the caste system or you know make it better like how gandhi wanted it right just remove uh, the oppression part no he just he wanted to end it it's like this whole system in itself is oppression and because like gandhi said it was a function right it's this very function that restricts that person to only that occupation or only that status and that's what creates that jail like feeling right you can't get out of it you can't break from it and the caste system was exactly that to him um yeah um yeah. gandhi himself of course as you can already guess by now is a functionalist right please <laughs> the idea no he is he's a functionalist because for one thing he's always going to see the positive part of every structure of every function 
just like most functionalists do. And so the most important functionalist idea, ideology that we need from Gandhi, especially from UGC's perspective, is the idea of the individual and the individual function in society. To him, the individual function in society was Satyagraha. You know, Satyagraha is the doctrine of truth, but it also is divided into four parts according to Gandhi. What is Satya? The idea of absolute truth. The idea of standing for what is true, even because what is true is absolutely moral. Sounds very Immanuel Kant to me. But yeah, the truth is absolute moral, right? The second part of Satyagraha was Brahmacharya, which again, if you know Hindi, is an easy concept to understand it. But if you don't, it's tough to translate to English. But let's just put it as consciousness, right? The awareness of what your role is in society and a willingness to live up to that role, right? The idea of Satyagraha is to have no fear of standing up to what is unjust, right? And the fourth idea, and perhaps most important, is the idea, the idea that what you amass should be okay. You should utilize it for yourself, but any surplus should go back into society. Sounds very Marxist. The idea of, and in fact, trusteeship idea. The idea that if you own land, you're just basically a trustee of that land. Not really an owner. You have to trust that land. All land belongs to society. Again, very Marxist sounding. No, but he's not Marxist because again, he's not against the idea of private property. He's saying, fine, you have private property, but an owner of that private property, you have a trustee. And so he was very against inheritance. The idea that if I own land and I pass away, it should go to my son, was it unacceptable to him? So this is usually asked a lot in the UGC net came up with the trusteeship system. Gandhi is the one who is responsible for developing this trusteeship system. The idea that capitalists and landowners are trustees of that land. Okay. And when they pass away, no inheritance that should be followed. Okay, we're not following that today. And that comes from the no greed perspective of Satyagraha. So the individual has Satyagraha and a group of individuals having Satyagraha can form what is going to, again, important term from UGC net, from what is known as a centric governance model which is a village republic. And a group of village can grow up and form the state. And then we'll have a state that can fight colonialism because colonialism is nothing but capitalism manifested according to Gandhi. Wow. Again, like I said, right? Ambedkar has completely different... Uh, he has a completely different worldview as compared, right? When he talks about nationalism and when he talks about how it's different from uh, how Hindu nationalism is different from Indian nationalism. He, his most important argument against Hinduism was that caste and untouchability did not let Hindus act as a community, basically. Um, this, this is just basically his understanding of nationalism and Let's just quickly move into religion and what he thought about religion, right? Um, Ambedkar converted to Buddhism. Sorry, Buddhism. Um, uh, Ambedkar developed a new interpretation. I can just feel Alex laughing right now with me stuttering, but okay. Um, Ambedkar developed a new interpretation of Buddhism, uh, which made Buddhism. I know I can't pronounce it for some Buddhism. Yes. Buddhism. I don't know why I can't pronounce it. I know what it is, but I just can't pronounce it. Uh, 
Of course, you know what it is. And you almost converted to it. Your... <laughs> or were you going for Buddhism at that time? <laughs> okay. Um. Yeah. Trying. Okay. I'm just gonna avoid using the word. But yeah, he. Uh, his interpretation of it. Uh, made. So he was against conversion, right? Um. But he was okay with converting to this religion. Um. It's because he, of the kind of ideology that this religion had. Um, he was against uh, converting to even Islam and um, Christianity because he believed that there was uh, a lot of caste within these two religions as well. And he felt that it was only Buddhism that um, broke free from all these shackles, basically. Um quickly just moving into um, nationalism and colonialism. So he he was very interested in reading the constitutions of different countries and he played a very key role in formulating India's uh, constitution as well, right? So um, I don't know exactly how to explain it, but basically he was very adept at interpreting different constitutions of the world, particularly those that mattered in terms of democracy. And and he 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 strongly believed that it was this constitution that would help, you know, break these um, problems that caste has. But clearly today that is not happening. Um, he was a key player in the constitutional developments of India from mid 1920s and on certain issues such as like the uniform civil code. Um, but clearly today, it it all of that just doesn't matter anymore. <laughs> Sorry. But yeah. Yeah. So, um, Gandhi, I'm going to wrap up here um, because most of what is Gandhi's already been said and we already have the understanding um, he doesn't like anything that's capitalist right so machines hell no right just and this sort of industrialization and that was always even even at the school level he wanted to you know impose Kadi teaching and get students to weave and actually use the earnings from that weaving to self-support the school and he had a number of ideas of how we can attain self-sufficiency, right? We're talking about it today in India also, Atmanivar. But in Gandhi's time, he would call it construct programs. Construct programs were a number of ideas of Gandhi's that could help attain self-sufficiency. Like Naitalim, his most famous construct program was, of course, Naitalim, right? So his books are representative of that. His book, I, his famous books are things like um, Path to God, Truth is God, Satyagraha, Village Swaraj, right? The idea of village freedom. They are all books of it. His most famous book that you will also, also this book that I just mentioned, uh, Constructive Programs, right? Which were his, a number of his concepts. But his most famous book he also comes from internet is his 1927 book, which in Hindi was but in um, English is always asked in the UGC net as My Experiments with Truth. Because it's really in My Experiments with Truth where it's you know, his core philosophy came out. And it's many of those ideas that led to the Dholi movements. So Gandhi himself might not 
this is question but his social movements and his social ideologies are definitely going to feature in chapter 10 of this sociology when we study about social movements because it's sparked off a lot so that's why i'm going to leave gandhi at in terms of what we say one idea i will agree with gandhi that because i am this person politically is that he believe in the concept of minimalist state the state only absolutely has to otherwise as individuals we ought to be self sufficient to be providing education healthcare and you know what in the current it almost feels like we are supposed to be that way by circumstance not by strategy by circumstance what about ambedkar yeah um a point that i missed out is um he emphasized the economic exploitation also of caste right um that economic exploitation was a major issue and he explains his lifelong critical uh engagement with marxism through this economic exploitation he felt that uh, there are other sources of exploitation and marginalization besides economic exploitation which um, deprive people of those basic goods that are indispensable uh to for a person to be a confident self right um in terms of his understanding of like the modern era ambedkar argued that it was in the modern era that human reason came into its own and extricated itself from bonding with myths customs and religious ideologies um and on my point about buddhism um he acknowledged the possibility of diverse religions and moral standpoints that were reasonable he did not see them as um predisposed towards freedom equality and fraternity so that's why he promoted buddhism because um the uh buddhism was complementary to freedom equality and fraternity right and these are words we hear in our constitution a lot as well and these are basically ideas that ambedkar put forth um yeah um and he felt that a liberal democracy has a natural tilt towards culture and the way of life for majority right so he he gave importance to that if the particular society is relatively homogeneous then there is no tendency for any oppression to happen right um whereas if it's heterogeneous there's of course oppression and that's what he means right most of ambedkar's work is on caste so like rest assured that any most questions that come related to caste or are most about upliftment of caste will be an ambedkar question basically i think we can sum up this episode in the in the position gandhi and the, i'm quoting so gandhi would say that the growth of the individual the society is interdependent together something that would be called social reconstruction ambedkar would say there's no point having swaraj if you cannot defend it more important the question of defending swaraj is the question of defending hindus in my opinion only when hindus have become a casteless society can they hope to have enough strength to defend itself so the idea that india can only defend its the so gandhi said there's no point of having independence if we can't have self rule we should also be able, and i'm saying there's no point of having independence 
if we're going to be fighting among ourselves anyways because of caste society. So, yeah, um, function of class and caste. We talk about classless and casteless society. Yeah. Oh well, um, they both wanted independence, but using two very different outputs of the post-independence ideology, and we decided to come. Good choice that was. Anywho, we've got time, but hey, it's Ambedkar and Gandhi. It's the two most famous names you know. So, let's. Yeah. Nice. Eight.